0: Good morning, my friends. <clears throat> my job this morning is to, uh, to exegete the text. Now, that's a fancy word that simply means to, to explain or to, to help unfold it. And so um, that's the style of preaching we do around here. We don't read one verse and, and talk about it a lot. We kind of take a section and we try to explain it as best we can so that you have context, you understand what's going on. And so this morning I want to invite you to gather around uh, the Word of God and we've been doing our work for the past several months in Matthew's Gospel. And most recently, we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount, which I'm sure we've all heard of. Um, now, last week when we talked about the Sermon on the Mount, we, we talked about how C.S. Lewis had once compared the Sermon on the Mount to being hit in the face with a sledgehammer. I don't know if you all remember that. Uh, someone, had, someone had said, C.S. Lewis doesn't even like the Sermon on the Mount. And then he had to turn around and write a response article. And in that response article, he said... Uh, I can't imagine the state of a man's soul who truly enjoys reading the Sermon on the Mount because really the reason it's sometimes not fun to read the Sermon on the Mount is that it exposes us as sinners sinners. and and it's not that the Sermon on the Mount isn't beautiful and lovely and necessary and perfectly inspired. It's all those things. It's just that when you read the Sermon on the Mount, um, it can be painful for you because it's horribly convicting. And, And... Listen, I, I just want to suggest to you that some people have the capacity to be convicted. Because God has been gracious to them, but, but not everyone does. Not everyone has the capacity to be convicted. They could we could all read God's word and, and one man's gonna be convicted by it and another man is not. And the term that the Bible uses for people who are not easily convicted by things, but you know, when they read scripture and it's a convicting part, the term that the Bible is gonna use for them is, is that they have a hard Heart, and if you have a hard heart, that means that you will never experience conviction. Now, a hardened heart is a dangerous thing because uh, if you're never convicted, then you you will never repent, and if you never repent, then you will remain dead in your sins. So, um, today, as we read through one of the most convicting passages of Scripture for me personally, and um, and if you, if you come through this today and you're not convicted at all, then you need to. You need to plead with the Lord to begin to soften your heart. Um, Because today, as we continue to read the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus introduces a topic that should be convicting to you. And the topic that Jesus is going to introduce today is hypocrisy, right? It is is the sin of of the religious, it is the sin of of the church. And and so um, this should do its work in, in you today and in us today. You know, John MacArthur tells the story of a of an Eastern mystic, he is—he's a, a pious, holy man who would sit every day on the corner of uh, a busy street. And every day, he would just sit there on the street corner, and he would be covered in, in dust and ashes as the crowds would pass by. Now, now, dust, uh, for, for, kind of, the, for the Eastern mystic, is a, is a symbol of of self denial, and it's a symbol of of kind of being in mourning. And and one day, a tourist was passing by, and stopped and asked the holy man, said, would you mind if I, if I took a quick picture of you, to which the holy man uh, quickly replied, yes, yes, you can do that. Hold on for a second. I, I want to freshen up and rearrange my ashes so that I look good, right? And, and if you know what I mean, there's, there's a lot of, of rearranging of ashes going on in religion. A lot of people putting things on display in the public space that are supposed to be things that are, that are between them and God. And, and, and hypocrisy is an outward show without an inward reality. I, I think I've taught this before, but, but the term hypocrite, do you know where that came from? It didn't originate as a derogatory term. It actually began uh, in, in classical Greek. A hypocrite was an actor, specifically on stage, a play actor, the kind of actor that wore a mask. And, and, and they would change masks throughout the play to let the audience know how they were feeling. And so when, when they were supposed to be on stage and be happy, the hypocrite would wear a smiley face mask. And maybe you've seen those before, the kind of masks that just have a smile on them. And, and, and if they were supposed to be sad, if it was a tragedy, maybe they would wear a sad mask. And at some point, people realized that the hypocrite was also a pretty fitting description of the way that some people live their lives. Some people wear, wear masks, you know, kind of, kind of metaphorically, so that they can convince other people that they are something which they're really not. And, and the Pharisees in Jerusalem were, were infamous. They were really famous for their, their hypocrisy. They were, they were constantly engaged in these kind of outward shows or outward, outward dis, to displays to, to convince other people how devout they were. So you, you could say that the Pharisees were constantly rearranging and freshening their ashes but, but Jesus says to the disciples, he says, if we're to be in the kingdom of heaven, we have to be different. Instead of uh, being whitewashed on the outside and dead men on the inside, uh, Jesus wants his disciples to have a, a devotion to God that's authentic and intimate. You know, what you do as you worship the Lord is to be intimate. It's not to be put on display for other people. You, if you think about the intimacy between a husband and a wife, it's not to be put on display for for other people. And it's the same with our love of Christ. And so what I hope you hear this morning is that we all have tendencies towards being hypocrites. Uh, Let's hope that God softens your heart this morning as we read together. So we're going to be doing our work in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 18. I invite you, if you're able to stand now for the reading of God's holy word. It's funny. I went to lunch with someone who's joined the church recently from, from a Baptist background, and they said... Like, you Presbyterians stand up and sit down more than us Baptists do. And I said, well, we, you know, we care about the health of our people. We're trying to get them exercise. Uh, let's pray before we read together. Uh, Father, um, we love your word. It is, it is perfect for us. And it, it exposes our sins so that we might find repentance and forgiveness. And so let it do its work in us today. In the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. And the church said, Amen. All right, well, I'll I'll read for us, beginning in, in the first verse. Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, On earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, For they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret, will reward you. Church, the grass withers, and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. And this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Uh, Jesus divides his teaching on hypocrisy here. He's going to categorically talk about hypocrisy, but, but in three categories, right? He's going to talk about giving with hypocrisy, praying with hypocrisy, and fasting with hypocrisy. So, so giving, praying, and fasting. And, and all three of these can be ways that we worship the Lord. Like, like giving can be our worship, praying can be worship, and fasting can be worship. However, all three of these things can be ruined By your hypocrisy. So let's talk first about how to give without hypocrisy. Verse 1, here's what Jesus says. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven Jesus begins with, it's it's kind of this general warning about hypocrisy. He says, beware. Hypocrisy is dangerous. He wants you to beware from it. It, it, It's dangerous for you to advertise your good works in order to impress other people. And so maybe we should stop really quickly and say why any of us practice, because that's the term he uses, practice righteousness. Why would we practice righteousness in the first place? Why would we give to the poor or pray or fast in the first place? I want to suggest to you that the Christian does these things as an expression of their love for Jesus, okay? That's really simple, right? And the reason we do this, if we're trying to be very clear, is that Jesus tells us to do this, right? Look at John 14, 15. Very clearly, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So anytime you're keeping the commandments of Christ, you're practicing righteousness, it's an expression of your love for Jesus, and it's, it's beautiful, and it's sacred, and it's meant to be between you and Jesus. There, there's an intimacy, in intimacy to it, like I, I talked about being an intimacy between a husband and wife. It's not for other people. But when you take the things that are supposed to be an act of love towards Jesus and you use them to impress other people, you ruin them. Those things no longer please the Lord, Jesus says. There is no reward in heaven for those things. And, and I, don't, I don't fully understand, I confess you, you do not fully understand the reward system of heaven. I know, I know that when we get there, that, that when we do some things that honor the Lord, Jesus seems to indicate that there are rewards in heaven for that. But, but if, if you're advertising what you do in righteousness to people here on earth, it says your reward in heaven for doing that thing goes away. You've got the reward you wanted. You got the, the, the favor of man. You got to impress other people. So, so listen, if you feel called by God to be generous today, and you obey God by writing a check for God's purposes, but you tell everybody about the fact that, hey, I just wrote this great check to the, to the church, and I wrote this great check to this homeless guy, you ruin the obedience of the first act of giving. Okay, that's what Jesus is going to tell us. Let's keep reading. Look at verse 2. Thus, says, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpets before you, okay, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. You've heard, the, you've heard that phrase before. I, I think my, I heard my parents use it, you know, about tooting your own horn or blowing your own horn. I, I think this is probably the origin of that phrase, in this illustration, the man has has hired a musician to follow him around and blow a trumpet as he hands out gifts to the needy it's It's maybe like the the historic equivalent of, of holding a press conference right and, and, and this, is, this is how we, we this is how we think about charity today in a, in a lot of cases how many companies uh, give out money to good causes for the sole purpose of of increasing the reputation of that company. They, they, they hold a press conference to let everybody know who they're giving their gifts to this year, and and we kind of see that, and I think that kind of falls down to us. We think that's how we give. Like, I want to announce who I'm giving my charity to. Like, imagine someone goes on Facebook and says, here are the people I'm giving on my charity to this year. We want to do the same thing. And it makes us look good, right? Jesus then goes into this kind of absurd illustration to emphasize this, uh, look at verse three. He says, uh, but when you give to the needy, he says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Uh, most of us are right-handed. A few of you weirdos aren't. Um, and, and, and so it makes sense that we would, we would we would give with our right hand. But But listen, it is kind of hilarious to suggest that we would keep it a secret from our left hand. Like, I don't know how you do that. Maybe do you put your hand in your pocket so it it can't see what's going on? Of course not. Like, that's not, of course, this is obviously a a literary device. It's not what he meant. Um, The point that Jesus is making is don't tell anybody. And, And, in fact, I think maybe even another point is don't even make a big deal about it to yourself. Don't ruin the beautiful gift and the act of worship by Seeking the praise of other people. Next, um, after talking about giving, Jesus is going to talk about hypocrisy in prayer. Let's read together verses 5 and 6. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they, they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This I, I don't know, I find this verse really interesting. Um, what is the commandment of, of Jesus here? Is Jesus, is, is he condemning public prayer? Can we, can we not gather together and, and pray in public? Is, is our prayer only permitted in our closets? I want to suggest to you that that Jesus is not condemning public prayer because um, I say this because public prayer is seen all throughout the scripture all throughout acts the church gathers together to pray together however I, I do want to suggest to you that there is something that happens to us and and to most people when we start to pray publicly and that is this that we forget who the true audience of our prayer is and and before we know it The focus of our prayer is not the Lord. The focus of our prayer becomes all the other people sitting out there listening to us. And 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 sometimes when I'm up here praying, I got to be honest with you. Sometimes I'll be up here praying and I block all of you out. I I don't even think about you at all, and I start to pray to God, and I'm I'm just I'm really authentic, and, and I'm thinking about the Lord. But other times, I start thinking, how are people liking this prayer so far? I hope people think I'm good at prayer. I better add something into this prayer about the veterans because people really like patriotic prayers. And like it, it happens so fast. And before you know it, like it's not even a prayer to God anymore, it's a prayer to impress everybody who's listening. And I know I've done it and I, and I know I'll do it again because my heart is prone to wander. But I hate the fact that I'm prone to do that. I, I do. But when you pray, like, like honestly, the difference is that like when you pray and you're completely alone before the Lord. There's no one else there. There's no one else to impress. There's no confusion about who your audience is to be. There is something about praying alone where you recognize that, that God is literally peering into your heart. Maybe you've experienced this before. I know that I've been praying alone before, and, I, and I've said something like, uh, God, give me enough money, just enough money to make me comfortable. And then, like, no faster is that roll off my tongue then just the eyes of, of the Lord peering down on me make my prayer feel cheap and wrong. This is great awareness of the audience of God, and it convicts every word that I say in prayer. And so, so in that moment, like, I change my prayer. You ever done that? And I say something like, God, if, if you don't want me to be financially comfortable, but if it's your desire that I struggle, and in that struggle be sanctified and be made like Jesus, so be it, Lord. There seems to be something about prayer when you're alone that allows you the, to understand that the audience is the sovereign God. And all hypocrisy ends when we stand before the Lord. Like You can't be hypocritical in the presence of God like you can't. He sees right through you. He's going to unmask you all. Look at verse 7. That's what it says. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Here, here's what I find interesting about this verse. Ready? Um, if you've been reading all through the Sermon on the Mount with me, it seems like Jesus is using the Pharisees as the illustration of what not to do throughout all of the Sermon on the Mount. And so I expected him to say something like, don't heap up empty phrases like the Pharisees. But that's not what he says. He says, don't heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles. And, and so if, if you're if you're, you're not at church a lot, you don't know what that means. A Gentile is a non-Jew. So, so someone who would be uh, like a barbarian or have like a foreign, Religion. Uh, I guess then that we should understand that that using empty phrases in prayer was a habit of the Gentiles. And I want to suggest to you that especially that of the worshipers of Baal. You you remember Baal was one of the Canaanite gods, and they would repeat the same phrase over and over again in prayer. One example of of them doing that was uh, when the prophet Elijah was going against the prophets of Baal. Uh, there was kind of this, they were kind of having a profit off. It was a profit competition to prove whose God was real and whose God was not. Was it, was it Baal or was it Yahweh? Who was the true God? And so what they were doing, it was, it was kind of this challenge to see who could, whose God would send fire from heaven to consume a bull. And so they each had an altar. And on that altar, the prophets of Baal had one altar with one bull. And, and the prophet Elijah had another altar with another bull. And, and, and look what happens. It's, it's pretty, like Baal, or excuse me, uh, um, Elijah is pretty ruthless here. And so you're going to love it. Uh, 1 Kings 18, 26 through 27, it says this. They're talking about the prophets of Baal. It says this. They took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it. And they called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon. So listen, from morning until noon, they're, they're calling on the name of Baal, saying over and over again, Oh, Baal, answer us. You see, they, they kept chanting that same refrain over and over, Oh, Baal, answer us. Oh, Baal, answer us. And just over and over again. Look at verse 27, okay? Uh, this is what it says But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made, and at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he's a God. Either he's musing or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. You see, uh, these followers of Baal, they just kept repeating the same empty phrase over and over. Oh, Baal, answer us. And the logic was that they could wear Baal down, or maybe they could just wake him up up, if they just kept asking over and over, they believed that their God would finally give in, even if their God really didn't even want to do so. But we know that's not the case with our God, right? You are not going to wear God down in prayer. Your God is eternal and unchangeable, and your life is but a flash in a pan before His eyes. And he hears all and he knows all. And even before you ask him, he knows what you need. So trust that when you make your prayers before the Lord, he hears and he understands and he empathizes and he blesses us. But you will never change God's mind. Quite the contrary. True prayer changes us. But I don't want to get distracted about the greater point of this section. This is all about hypocrisy. There is something in us that can take even prayer and make it hypocritical. When asked to pray before others, we can use it as an opportunity uh, to show others how devoted we are or how, how theologically astute we are. Um, I recognize this today, and, and I asked James Pullen to say the prayer of the second service so that I could use him as an illustration of what not to do. I just figured, I, I told him, I said, make sure. I said, James, make sure your prayer is really humble, because if, if not, I'm going to call you out on it. You know, someone smart once said, and I can't remember who it was, but that, that prayer is not so sacred that the devil will not infiltrate it. You know the, the, the devil would love nothing more than for our prayers to be aimed at pleasing one another. After Jesus talks about not praying uh, for others to hear and not repeating empty phrases, he's going to take time, and he's going to teach on the Lord's prayer. and we said that together earlier today. We read it together. And, uh, and when we have adequate time to preach on the Lord's Prayer, we will, we will come back and do so. Really, you could spend eight, nine, ten weeks on the Lord's Prayer. It seems a waste to rush through it this morning. And it's a little bit outside the scope of, of what we'd set out to talk about hypocrisy here. So we'll save it for another Sunday and come back and teach on it. Um, but let's keep going. I want to read with you verse 16 now. And we're, I want to move to the idea of fasting and hypocrisy and fasting as Jesus talks about it. And he says this, verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. You know, you know the first thing I noticed when I read this verse is, is Jesus says, uh, And when you fast, he doesn't say, And if you fast, right? You see the difference between when you fast and if you fast. Is this uh, assumption that Jesus is making that that people uh, who love the Lord would be fasting at times? Um, I don't know what you know about fasting. Probably not much. The the modern evangelical church doesn't talk about fasting. I have this great commentary set. It, it's it's all these books. It's it's Kent Hughes, and it's I've got one book on Matthew that's that thick. And then because that might not be enough, he put out another book on the Sermon on the Mount that's this thick. And so when I set out to, to preach on this stuff, I've just got pages and pages that I can read. Do you know that he skipped over the part on fasting? We just don't talk about it. In fact, Weston Blaha was preaching on the same uh, subject this week and sent me a message going, Hey, do you have anything on fasting that I can read? Uh, and, and so I had to uh, send him a great book uh, on, by John Piper about fasting as well. Uh, but, but, but let me talk about this. When it, when it comes to fasting, I want to show you one very important uh, passage of Scripture. It's in Matthew chapter 9, okay? verses 14 and 15, and this is what happens. There, there's this great scene where the, the disciples of John the Baptist, remember he had his own disciples, and they come to Jesus, and they want to know about fasting. Let's read it together, Matthew nine fourteen. Then the disciples of John came to Jesus saying, how come we, or why do we and the, and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast, right? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The day will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. You see, the disciples of John couldn't figure out why Jesus and his disciples did not fast. And what Jesus tells them is um, you don't fast when the bridegroom is here. And Jesus, of course, is talking about himself. He is the bridegroom, and it's often said that, that the church is his bride. What what is it about the presence of Jesus that makes his disciples not fast? Well, you have to understand the logic of fasting. Fasting has to do with longing. Like when we fast, it's something about our longing. God's people fast as an expression of their longing for the Lord. But if if Jesus is with them, there's no longing. And so there's no fasting. And so they, they delight in the enjoyment of being with the bridegroom. But Jesus says in section nine, or in uh, this section of Matthew chapter 9 that, that days, the day will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they shall fast. Why? Because they will have a true longing for Christ. Christians throughout history have fasted as part of their worship. We, we can go back and read where Martin Luther fasted. Where John Calvin fasted. Where, where John Knox fasted. All these great reformers. They all fasted as part of their spiritual life. If you're new to the concept of fasting. It's, it's simply denying yourself food. For a period of time. And it's not about losing weight. Right? Like I fast as part of a diet all the time. And it has nothing to do with my faith in Jesus. So you, we can't cross the two. Fasting. In, in faith of Jesus is about hungering for the bridegroom. So it's, it's, it's a very intimate act. You don't eat for a season and your hunger is, becomes synonymous with your longing and hunger for Jesus. And you continue to pray and long for his presence. As your hunger grows within you, it's an act of worship and self-denial. Now, now Jesus says that there is a way to fast that's hypocritical. And, and, and the way to fast that is hypocritical is, is what? You, uh, you kind of moan and groan and you make these faces. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, oh. And people say, what's wrong, Tyson? I go, well, you know, I'm just not eating because I love Jesus so much. <laughs> and they say, wow, you're fasting. That is amazing. I didn't know you were such a good person, Tyson. And in that instance, you've ruined it. It's not about your longing to be with Jesus, your hungering and your thirst for his presence. It's about you impressing your friends and looking all pious. What does Jesus say to do instead, right? Verse 17, this is, this is what you're going to do instead. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. I mean, this is not a complex idea this isn't some ceremonial anointing of the head Jesus is saying take a shower put some cologne on maybe wear deodorant don't act like you're all hungry this, it, it, and it, interestingly enough it's a weird take on hypocrisy right it really is it's kind of an inverse understanding of hypocrisy because in this case the way you act like a hypocrite is you highlight what you're truly feeling right and the way to fast without hypocrisy is you hide your hunger. Isn't that funny, inverse way of understanding hypocrisy? But, but it's the same as giving and it's the same as prayer. Ultimately, what is the intention of your heart? Do you do them to worship Jesus? Or are you doing these things as, to praise or do them in public to impress other people? You know, when you, when you stand before Christ on the day of judgment... I wonder what hypocrisy will be exposed in you. Where do you need to repent today of uh, practicing your righteousness before men? And and listen, for preachers like me, this is a big one. I'm not going to stand up here and, 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 um, and tell you that this isn't uniquely strong in my life because I uniquely stand before people a lot. But we all do it. Do you give to impress others? Do you sometimes pray to impress others? Have you ever fasted at all in your life? And if so, do you find yourself telling people about it all the time? My friends, I encourage you to worship the Lord by giving and to worship the Lord by prayer and even by fasting. But to be aware of that sneaky sin of hypocrisy that ruins all of our gifts to the Lord by seeking to use it to impress others. This has been Matthew 6, 1 through 18. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together this morning. Father, it's our desire that we understood well your word, and that by your Holy Spirit, it did its work of conviction in us. Got it? Those of us who have hard hearts will not be convicted this morning. And so I pray for my friends who are not experiencing conviction, Lord, that you would begin to show them where in their life they are hypocritical. Where in their life they take things that are supposed to be intimate between you and them and they make them about others and impressing people. God, may may your church always strive to not be hypocritical um, so that we can rightly be salt and light to the world. We pray this in Christ's name and all the church said. Amen.